The imagery has been etched in our minds for decades. Thieves and vandals riding into town on the back of their horses with one mission in mind, robbing a bank to steal your cash. This is the bad actor archetype, and it has stayed much the same for years. But the problem is, Hollywood's depiction of those events are no longer accurate in today's digital world. Nobody is physically robbing banks anymore because they don't have to. If you rob a bank, you're gonna get caught like immediately almost, right? But if you look at what cyber attackers are doing now is they're looking for ways to digitally impersonate someone or getting to your employees. Then from there, they can get to your network potentially or your data, then can hold you hostage without really physically harming you, but you could lose tons of money. That's Fleming Shi, the CTO of Barracuda Networks, a security software platform that is designed to prevent those robbers from accessing your accounts or your business. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Fleming discusses the evolution of cyber attacks and how botnets are infiltrating your systems, much like a virus finds its way into your body, and why fighting off those attacks is the biggest challenge facing cybersecurity teams today. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at Mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have a special guest, the CTO of Barracuda Networks, Fleming Shi. Fleming, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. All right, let's get into it. We ask all of our guests the same thing. Barracuda is a huge company, but just in case someone doesn't know what you guys do, because you are not a fish company, what is Barracuda Networks? Well, this is a good question because Barracuda started out absolutely protecting people on the email security side, you know, making sure people don't get spammy emails. You know, eventually we grew and we are actually covering a lot of bases, including network security and application security. And now we just recently also uh, got into zero trust on the endpoints, so providing a much better way of protecting users at home. So, yeah, it's a pretty comprehensive set of uh, uh, tools and solutions we offer, and uh, it's great to be able to uh, share some of my experience uh, in fighting cybercrime this year. We're going to dive right into it, but real quick, Barracuda, does it also make the hardware used to protect the endpoints, or... Is that something that Barracuda no longer does? Absolutely. We still do uh, hardware, but, but you know, our solutions today, they're very much cloud uh, native, and we're obviously offering more SaaS solutions. But the hardwares are there to make it and as enablers to ensure traffic is routed correctly. We have proper protection and policy enforcement you know, at the network level, as well as the endpoint level. So we have hardware. Um, doesn't mean we don't do SaaS. We're primarily a cybersecurity software company built with software. So, um, and the technology we use are very much cloud-centric and hardware is no stranger to us. We have been in that business for a long, long time. We have devices protecting industrial robots to control systems and also obviously uh, buildings and, and data centers and everything. So pretty comprehensive set of solutions. So in your personal experience, where did you lean more towards? Because you've been in Barracuda, you know, according to your LinkedIn profile for over 16 years. That's right. Uh, where, where, where did you focus your attention when you first started? Were you more on the software side or the hardware side? Actually, that's, that's a great question. It's uh, when Barracuda started, we wanted to make sure 
everything we build is uh, optimized and tuned with software. So we focus heavily on software. The hardware we use, even from the beginning, is we wanted to make sure we get uh, you know commodity hardware to the degree where we can actually put our software in and fully utilize those hardware. So I think if you look at Barracuda, everything we build is quite portable. So we don't necessarily have to have a proprietary or, or special design or uh, you know type of hardware to run our solution. So that made it much easier for us to transition into cloud environments and various different platforms as the customers are migrating and moving right through this kind of uh, cloud uh, native kind of uh, transition. So that said, Barracuda, very much a software company. Uh, personally, I have built software at Barracuda and we continue to do that. And however, when people need different deployment options, uh, we can take the same cloud technology we built and plug into devices that basically can operate on-prem. And if you think about that, you know, cloud is nothing but someone else's computer, really, right? Yeah, someone else's computer. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's the best way it was described to me. Exactly. And if you think about it, if you want your own computer to run Barracuda Solution, that's basically what the appliance do, right? So if you think about that, it's really a, a very broad uh, set of tools and solutions that runs on, you know, devices that you can own, or uh, obviously we have SaaS offerings that you don't have to own anything. So from that perspective, I think... Uh, we're proud to be here um, in, you know, 16, 17 years later, we're still very much supporting our customers in their journey. So one of the things about Barracuda is you have multiple lines of business, right? For example, just off the front of your website, you identify email protection, app and cloud security, network security, data protection. So four almost lines of business. Uh, that's how I would describe it. How do you, how do you guys describe it? Actually, we, uh, you know, if you look at us, uh, we're Absolutely about security. You know, data protection is data security. So on the full lens, if you look at it, email has been a great, uh, I will say, solution set that we offer. Uh, but around email is basically people who are using email. Now, email has moved, a lot of it has moved to Office 365. So that SaaS, you know, offering from Microsoft is really dominating. So less people running Exchange servers or their own email servers, right? So I still remember the old days when I, uh, you know, run my own mail servers. But if you think about it, that's to me, that's uh, uh, that's the past. Yeah. If you think about where does SaaS live, is the cloud. And more people using SaaS, that means more cloud adoption. More things will be offered through cloud. So I heard recently, I think, you know, multiple media uh, discussions that every company is going to be a technology company, right? So there's some type of software. If you're a designer, uh, you might be selling your, uh, your goods through e-commerce or you use uh, maybe some apps to you know, draw notifications. So every aspect of our life is becoming more technically involved, especially uh, delivering of the, the service and goods that you're producing. So that said, I think uh, Barracuda's uh, expansion you know, from the early days to cover the network infrastructure, applications uh, infrastructure, and obviously, most importantly, data is a really, really good one. And that said, that's why we exist today, because we have so many um, areas to it we want to help protect our customers for. Yeah. So, you know, when I think about what you just talked about, and I, I think there's no mistaking, I think everyone agrees, the, every business is a tech business because the way consumers book mm-hmm. and order services is now online. They're, no matter what you sell, even if you're let's say garbage services or 
plumbing services, the reality, yes, you have to send someone to my place, but I'm not going to find you through an analog way. You know, I'm going to find you digitally. I'm going to communicate with you digitally. I'm going to pay most likely digitally. Uh, You know, the final, the actual service will be physical. You'll be in my house fixing whatever it is I need to fix. But that's how I'm going to communicate with you. When you think of how transactions have all moved to cloud, personal information has is absolutely transferred digitally. You know, I think we got to start with the threat. How has the threat to cyber data or cybersecurity changed? And because obviously Barracuda is meeting and wants to meet and exceed or surpass what the threat actors are doing, but how are threats evolving now that even more information is online? Because it used to be, I'll give you an example. It used to be, we wanted to like shred our paper. Remember that you would shred your email because you didn't want someone to piece together your credit card application and get a credit, you know, someone goes through Fleming's trash and picks it up and (laughs) puts it back together and says, I'm going to apply for a credit card in Fleming's name. Yeah. That's not really a threat at all. Like you could... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what we used to worry about. But talk about like how threats have evolved since, um, you know, in your career. And plus, if pandemic has accelerated that. Absolutely. Um, You know, I would say the the evolution of the threat is definitely very interesting because it started out with just, uh, you know, massive amount of spam, you know, just causing confusion and maybe you know, some volumetric type of attacks, let it be phishing or get you to click on something. And they would just prey on people, you know, kind of like junk mail in the old days, right? Like your, your actual mailbox will be filled with junk mail. And, and remember, I, uh, you know, in the, at least 20 years ago, maybe a couple of decades ago, that was a huge problem. People were wasting paper and people may respond to the wrong mail. But it's, it's kind of like that. that. That evolution started with digitally doing the same thing, kind of just causing issues for people. Then eventually got to much more personalized or maybe even uh, uh, targeted attacks. And that's really where I will say the, the attackers and, and digital thief are getting much smarter. And it's funny because a, while, a few years ago, I, I read a news, local news, that someone actually robbed a bank, uh, like cash, you know, that kind of robbery, I was kind of literally laughing. I said, well, that's kind of old school. <laughs> if you're a bad guy, <laughs> you rob a bank, that's, you, you're going to get caught like immediately almost, right? And yeah. that person definitely got caught immediately. But if you look at what cyber attackers are doing now is they're looking for ways to digitally, you know, impersonate someone or getting to your employees. Then, uh, then from there, they can get to your network, potentially, or your data, uh, right? So then, then they can hold you hostage uh, without really physically harming you, but you could lose tons of money, right? And you can see this happening in the last several years. And, you know, the initial ransomware attacks were just, uh, a few, you know, $50 or Bitcoin, whatever it is. It was uh, kind of small amounts, but it started to grow. And why is it growing? Because they are targeting bigger targets. Uh, also, cyber insurance are coming in. So, with the insurance covering million dollars and, you know, sometimes they over-advertise, you know, the attackers know they get a big pay- payday, right? So, so from that perspective, the threat has evolved to be very targeted and very much current events driven. It's not necessarily something just out of the blue, right? So it's very, they're building on trust. Uh, all these things are happening. And if you think about that, that's just, to me, that's just the effect or symptom of the whole problem. And why do these attacks happen and why are they hard to stop? It's because uh, a lot of these attacks are no longer just, uh, you know, launched from uh, a a finite set of systems, right? They're building botnets to do these things. 
So botnets, to me, it's kind of like infection into you know, people's resources, infrastructure, uh, cloud environments, home devices, IoT devices, smart light bulbs, you know, whatever it is that you're putting in your house. <laughs> yeah. It's opening yeah. a whole bunch of doors and windows, right? That bad people are getting. But the risk right now is that sort of the home network is kind of the new frontier, right? If you think about it, like we all work from home, we're doing Zoom, but we got all kinds of devices running in the homes. Uh, we, we probably... Uh, have a lot less security expertise at home versus you have someone who is helping you if you were in a building uh, working together, right? So that said, um, I think the extension uh, of the the firepower, the weaponization of uh, of infrastructure, all kind of mount uh, future attacks and create these very powerful and targeted spear phishing attacks or ransomware attacks, right? So if you think about that. I always like the trilogy of The Matrix, okay. right? The Matrix, you know, I think there's a fourth movie that's coming. I can't wait. But the whole concept there is that uh, there's the digital world, there's the real world. And how does the digital world affect us? It's really becoming real. To me, I think if we understand where the threats are coming, if you're preparing the humans to be more aware, uh, it can help. But I think fundamentally, you really need to root out the bad guys that's infecting your infrastructure, your cloud resources, to make sure your, your systems are no longer being weaponized, right? Uh, so that said, I really uh, think it's challenging years and decades in, in front of us how to you know, fight this battle. Well, let's dive into some of the things that you just talked about, because you're absolutely right. Back in the day, if you wanted to rob a bank, you had one actor going into one physical space the bank's total dollars at compromise was whatever was in the bank, which the reality was most people couldn't get away with it all anyways. Like even back in the day, you'd say, fill this bag with cash. Yeah. <laughs> it was only a fraction of what you could lose, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, like if you're Bank of America, you could only lose whatever it could fit in two bags maybe. Yeah. But now if you're Bank of America or any bank for that matter, and a ransomware attack, and, and like you said before, ransomware, this is this is happening all the time now. And I, I'm looking at an article right now that says in 2019, more than 163 ransomware attacks targeted local and county governments with at least 1.8 million paid. And I've been reading about this, that it is more likely now to receive the ransom. That's right. Because how critical, you know, local governments, systems, whatever companies, they depend on their technology Yeah. Uh, for it to go down. It's, it's too expensive. And to your point, and I want you to explain what a botnet is in just a moment. It's also takes too long to possibly solve the problem because the way you're describing this is that it's like multiple different, because you remember back in the day when you had ransomware or malware on your computer, it was literally like one program. You bought like the cleaner, it would identify, and then you click the delete button and it just kicked it out. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's that's not how it is anymore, is it? No. <laughs> Talk a little bit about how uh, networks or whole systems get taken over now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, here's the thing. So if you look at where ransomware attacks, uh, uh, you know, how they actually uh, collect their ransom payments. Is no longer just about giving your files back. Oh, your files got encrypted. Guess what? I have your key. This is what it used to be, right? Yeah. Now is they actually take your data. So I give you a file back, but I have still have your data. So if you don't pay me the second time, I'm gonna I'm gonna basically post your uh, customer data online, right? So it goes back to that analogy you made, like shredding the paper. Yeah. Remember that? So what's really important now is because so much customer data are 
being gathered and and basically you know I would just say uh, managed inside your, uh, these SaaS applications. And if you lose that data, it's it's like your livelihood for your business for your customer, right? So because of that, the ransomware attacks are going way beyond just you know get the payment for your for your key, but it's extortion. It's like and you think about that, it doesn't have to stop on the, the second ask. They can come back a year later and say, I still have your data, so why <laughs> don't you pay me again, right? So these are the things that we, we as a society need to really pay attention to how to really uh, figure out how to root out, but it is a, it's going to be a battle for sure, yeah. So um, to your question about how these networks get infiltrated, um, a lot of it starts from a spear phishing attack, uh, someone clicked on something, or if you have a, a vulnerability in your cloud environment or your home environment due to IoT, basically that is you know less than par on security, uh, they can get in there and they can do island hopping. So lateral movements to, to get to your uh, most critical parts where your uh, business applications are running. So uh, I think uh, we published a couple um, threat spotlights uh, talking about botnets, especially the one that we identify called the interplanetary uh, storm, it gets into uh, Android devices through a, a debugging port that is used, utilized for software developers to utilize for debugging of the software running on Android device. And it can run on ARM-based uh, devices. A lot of the smart home devices are based on the low-power uh, low ARM CPUs, which it's obviously a good reason to use it because it doesn't use that much power. It can even run on batteries, but it has enough horsepower to do certain things. Uh, yeah, so that said, many more open doors and windows for the bad guys. Uh, they're having a field day because the pandemic, people are staying home. And the cloud infrastructures are hard to secure because developers are not always kind of grew up with security next to them, right? So they when they see the public cloud uh, services being so powerful, so elastic, they will utilize it to build their software to serve their customer. But utilizing it correctly, having the right security posture is not like their you know, nature. They, they want to build software. So there needs to be a lot of security, you know, I would say monitoring and event triggering and all those things to help you know, basically all the software companies who are building SaaS to protect their cloud environment being being compromised. It's funny you mention that because I worked at I've worked at different tech companies where we were cloud native. We use public cloud services. And when when we would go bid on jobs at the enterprise level, they would always ask you for your security policy. That's right. And we would often cite the public cloud. <laughs> we just cite yeah. it like verbatim. Like the, whatever they have is what we have. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, in fact, that's a good way to think about it because we have a phrase like I use in Barracuda called friends don't let friends build data centers. It's kind of funny. But if you think about why don't you want your friend to build data centers, because we don't build data centers secure at the layer one, two, right? So if you think about that, you know, I think, I think AWS or Amazon and both Amazon and Microsoft is the same way. So they will secure your infrastructure, you know, physical, you know, biometric to get into the data center. You know, they have mm -hmm. all the certification you need. So it's much better than someone to build their own data center, start with the cage and, and cable hanging at the ceiling, right? Right. But if you think about that, you are responsible for building the software and securing your customer's data. So that makes 
you know, their service because they will provide you a bunch of services, including virtual machines, you know, message bus, um, you know, databases, uh, you know, even, even, you know, uh, I will say basically no environment required kind of uh, compute that you can, you can elastically grow without waiting for weeks and months for a data center, right? Because of that kind of superpower, developers are obviously enjoying having that. This is why it's booming right now because that's how the world is run, right? SaaS and a lot of applications. So that said, you know, using these services securely, that's the challenge because someone can leave a virtual machine or, uh, you know, basically putting a, a workload in the cloud and forget to create the security group or certain type of security measures to make sure certain ports are not open to the world. We, we hear these kind of stories all the time, especially like leaving Elasticsearch port open. Uh, so ended up people can pull your data, right? Or leaving a, a SSH port open because uh, a developer wants access uh, from home so they can, you know, or from, from IP there, wherever they are. So these are the little mistakes that can happen. And I would say in the beginning, in the early days, the botnets would take advantage of it then basically use your resources to do crypto mining. So they would just keep crunching and get their, their Bitcoins out or whatever crypto coin they're, they're, they're fancy to. But generally now, they don't necessarily have to do that. They can get better pay if they hide it in your environment, almost like a sleeper cell, then actually launch spear phishing attacks and eventually get to ransom somebody or cause a major uh, damage. That payment is probably easier now. Uh, compared to uh, crypto mining. You see what I mean? Yeah, it's like, it's almost like, uh, I don't know how if this is a, the right analogy, but it's like patent defense. Mm -hmm. If you have a patent and you defend it and you want to defend it against a small company, you're obviously going to make small money. Yeah. If you wait until it gets a bigger problem or they're more successful, you get more revenue to go after. So when you're talking about these threat actors, they're coming in, they're inserting what are they inserting? Is it a script? Is it a program? What are they trying to insert? To, and then I guess, how do they write or how is it, how does it go unnoticed? Right? So, and what am I inserting? Am I inserting a program? Am I inserting a script? Am I inserting some kind of duplication record that then stores all the records in a secondary place? Yeah. And then if all this activity is happening inside my firewall on, on my equipment, I guess, why don't uh, businesses notice that this information is somehow being compromised? Yeah, that's the tricky thing about botnets. They don't have to attack. They can infiltrate first. So um, let me draw your attention to that uh, threat spotlight we published on IP Storm. Cool. Yeah, you can find it at Barracuda's uh, blog site, blog.barracuda.com. If you look at what we published, it's really kind of anatomy of what this botnet is. And, uh, you know, one of the other thing for sort of modern development, you know, methodology or culture is API first. You always build API first, right? Right. Then the bad guys also do the same thing. They have APIs. If you look at the, what, we, what we talked about, and, and there is a, a section that talks about all the different APIs they offer. So what they're trying to do is basically replicating uh, the spot the, and build out the botnet. Right. So when get inf infected, then they continue to move on, you know, in your home environment or, you know, cloud infrastructure that's not secured down. All those things are where they're looking to, uh, to penetrate. So what they're putting in is basically, I will say, bits and pieces of code. And sometimes they write the code with very portable 
programming languages, right? So instead of something that's compiled only for Intel, uh, they can make something that runs on Intel as well as ARM, for example, right? So if you look at that, like in this particular case, it's, a, it's Golang. Golang is something that's developed by Google. It's a programming language. It's really very nice programming language that basically is portable. It can be compiled and run statically, or uh, you can run as an interpreter. So that said, that software piece will drop into the system and it will try to replicate itself. It's like a virus, right? Mm -hmm. And the way they communicate with each other, um, it's through these APIs that publish, I mean, internally. So if you look at this, here's the deal, right? So there's a, a huge boom, especially coming in holidays. You know, one of the biggest things people shop around for is smart devices for as a gift for somebody here and there, right? Uh, let it be a camera, let it be a door lock. I think the coolest one is the light bulb. They can just put it on, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, you know, you don't even have to put wires. It just plugs in like a light bulb. So, but who makes these things? These are companies who are kind of like, well, we call it a little bit like, I think my, one of my colleagues called it the flyby companies. They're manufacturers that basically got some technology and built it out and created it. Maybe from China, from other places, I don't know, but China seems to create a lot of things. They're the manufacturer of the world, at least until recently, right? So they're building things. Yeah. So, but these companies are not cybersecurity experts, or maybe they go through some level of regulation, but those regulations are probably not strong enough, right? So you buy these things that cost like really cheap, right? You know, you, Amazon opens the door and the boom, you could buy 30 of them. Guess what they need? They probably need some type of connectivity, yep. right? They need to have Wi-Fi so you can, you can use your uh, smart speaker to, to turn it on and off. And guess what happens with the Wi-Fi? Wi-Fi needs passwords, needs credentials, needs secrets, right? Where do these go? You know? So, so think about that. So that said, it's challenging because it, there is a, a booming economy. People need these devices because it's so cool. It, it gives us, you know, the modern feel, but it's also uh, potentially opening doors. So that's why this particular botnet activity we, we cover is important to talk about because you can see in that report, a lot of countries, we start to see the evidence of actually being penetrated through, right? So I wanted to grab something off the blog mm. and it's the article threat spotlight when bad bots attack. And yeah. I want to go over some of these pieces just because I think this will help our audience who maybe is not as versed in cybersecurity recognize yeah. how hard of a thing this really is. So one of those sections, I'll, I'm just going to read it verbatim. It's, it talks about highlighted threats and it's bad bot personas. Yeah. It says the bad bot personas are bots that have been identified as malicious based on their pattern of behavior. Bad bots are grouped by user agent, but some user agents are good. For example, Googlebot, which crawls sites and adds them to search rankings is good and should not be blocked. Google has many different user agents, APIs, AdSense, mobile web, and it goes on and on. And so what you're saying is, the threat actors are actually trying to replicate things that just look like that. So and when you're on your side of the security wall, it looks like simply, oh, it's a Google crawler. It's just looking for search. It's an AdSense crawler. It's looking for what ads to, you know, what content someone is looking at for Barracuda. And I'm going to retarget them later on for ads. But what it's really doing is these things are just looking like that, but they're literally siphoning off all this information into, let's call them a data lake somewhere where it's then compiled and built upon until there's enough information, critical information to the point where 
if the person chooses to ransom or do something, now they have enough information to say you're now compromised. I, I got you. Right, right. Actually, I want to point out that's another blog we just posted in December. That's the one when Batbots attack. Yeah. I also uh, shared the link with you on the uh, on the chat here, so you can see the the one related to the the IP storm. But it's a great transition to what this is doing, right? So the bots they don't have to attack; they just want to build first. They want to establish their roots. Yeah. Command control is really hard to take down. So you probably remember uh, Microsoft, you know, and a few others uh, have taken down TrickBot for a while. Then it comes right back, right? Like a few weeks now, it's probably fully functional again. The reason for that is because bots, they don't have to attack. They're literally, the really good analogy is the COVID-19 virus, right? Like it doesn't have to have symptoms right away. Yeah. Right. Uh, it can be infectious while it doesn't have symptoms. So what that means is when it really need to take action in the report we put out about attacks, it's one angle to look at your applications under attack, so DDoS attack. So you're absolutely right. So what do they do? They want to make sure your application feel like this bot is the normal bot. That's, hey, I need my website to be uh, higher ranking by you know uh, crawlers and search engines. Of course, we're going to make sure that that's open to it. They actually, there's a robot text file in every web application server that allows that to happen and how that happens. But generally, uh, the bad guys, they're going to mimic user agent is so easy to replace as you're uh, building the bot because you can replace that sort of the header inside of the request very easily, right? And as the bot writer, they're going to do that. But that's, that's like the surface layer, you know, it looks like, you know, I'm the good guy, right? But that's why you need advanced bot protection because we can, we can interrogate the bot to say, hey, are you really Google bot? Are you really a search engine, right? And when they fail the interrogation, basically we block it, if you think about it that way. So of course the bad guys are always gonna look for ways to, oh, let me respond and you know, try to <laughs> uh, mimic uh, what a real bot would do. But you know, we have multiple methods to to actually do that interrogation. This is why advanced uh, bot protection is really useful because you will prevent your system from being either losing performance or being potentially being harvested for data, for various, uh, for recon reasons, for the future attacks, right? And this gets into the whole concept of don't let your environment, your employee, your resources, your workloads being weaponized against others by these type of attacks. So uh, it goes for circle, right? Why do we get spear phishing attacks? Well, some somebody's resources is basically mounting these attacks and these resources are not cheap. The bad guys are not gonna go pay Amazon. Hey, let me just buy all these servers and let me mount some attacks. They What they're trying to do is penetrate as far as they can go uh, now at home because um, sending spear phishing attacks does not require the same kind of compute power as crypto mining. So. They're happy because all the smart light bulbs and everything is just their, their weapons. If you think of it that way, <laughs> it's kind of, uh, it's kind of sad, but it, it's dangerous. Yeah. So in your mind, one of the things I always think about is how do you? So there's one thing to stop it, and I think that's where a lot of cybersecurity companies definitely want to stop. Mm. What about when it comes to prevention? How do you prevent these kinds of things from happening? Because so we've had a couple different cybersecurity type companies on. They talk about like the biggest problem with allowing, let's say, malware or ransomware or viruses or whatever the bad guys are using into your systems yeah 
is how often it's user-based. It's not technical-based, right? Where people are literally sending emails, right. asking you to click and open this. And it's actually, it's the, you know, it's a compiler to unpackage a software that they've written. Now it's on your computer and starts going through the network. I mean, we hear different things. What do you, in your mind, what needs to happen to prevent these kinds of things from happening to companies? Right. So it's really about resilience you want to build from the human uh, level all the way to your data. Because humans are going to take action. Uh, We're emotional animals. So what happened is if it's related to COVID. So there's so many attacks on the whole COVID life cycle, right? Starting from the beginning of information being missing, WHO impersonation to vaccine to you know, all sorts. Uh, and humans are going to react to that. Yeah. People want to hear that news or read that news or whatever. Yeah. And one of the attack uh, weapons that I we, we, we caught, of course, um, is that they actually, the impersonation happened to a healthcare organization. And inside the email, it has attachment to describe, you know, uh, the, the rules for how you actually come back to work. It's just like return to work uh, policies, right? And if you're an employee, of course, you, yeah, I need to, I'm a healthcare, uh, you know, industry. So you need to come in and actually do the job. And from that perspective, it draws attention, right? And people will fall for it. So first of all, I think training folks to understand the conversation, understand how to look at the email, it's, it's an important part. And the other part is uh, really about uh, utilizing the training in a way that basically it's really tailored to your, to your uh, employee base, right? Understand who, is, who needs mo- most training, who has the key to the kingdom or, you know, uh, or things like that it will be very important to understand those critical uh, roles. Also, getting to the data part, you know, imagine a situation where your data is, not, is you know, the, the ransomware can take it, but they cannot open it. So you want to probably encrypt your data on your platform in a way that you can, only you and your systems have access to it, right? That way they can never come back to you and have extortion, right? Right. So generally there's a prevention that you can put in place like that. Also for the cloud infrastructure discussion, I think the cloud security posture management, is, it's gotta be one of the basic elements <laughs> for any development team to make sure they have a solution in place because any developers interacting with your cloud environment needs to make sure whatever they're doing, how they're configuring the cloud environment is within the guardrails. And, and if there is a mishap, there should be an event that basically generates a workflow to, to resolve. So there's a, in fact, uh, for AWS, Azure, GCP, many other cloud environment, uh, there is a CIS uh, you know, foundation benchmark to make sure every service is being published has a, uh, uh, you know, pre- uh, basically a, I will say, best practice to make sure you're securing that service, right? So utilize tools like that will help. And then now, of course, we can leave this one out. Uh, working from home, what do you do when employees are working from home? All the stuff that's open to the world, uh, how do you trust his work and her work will not potentially get a, a you know, attacker won't come into uh, from the home and, and do an island hop all the way to your work or infrastructure, lateral movement to your um, actual business critical uh, systems. It's basically remove the connectivity part and really think about micro segmentation using the zero trust uh, network access concept, because that's 
really it's not just about network access, but you block off SaaS access. You block off SaaS application access if the security posture on the device they're using is not up to par, right? So if you think about that, you know, we have solutions for these, for these problems and prevention is definitely a key. So in that case, uh, that's why Barracuda, um, you know, invested in the uh, zero trust network access and SASE, you know, Gartner's new quadrant to, to look into for security offerings. So that was in depth. The question I have now is, what about when it comes to identifying who is the culprit? Because it's one thing to prevent. So there's, of course, to stop an attack. Then there's to prevent an attack. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I think I speak for, I think, a great majority of people. We'd love for these attacks to stop. But I know that one of the hardest things about these attacks is you can't identify who is the responsible actor. And the way they want payment and the way they want remittance of monies is typically in a way that makes it very difficult to trace or untraceable because they're, you know, they want, like you said, a Bitcoin in a wallet that they somehow hold at some exchange yeah. or they only they have the key to. So they'll transfer the money across who knows how many ledgers before they actually withdraw the money. So then my question then becomes, what is happening in the world of, and, and you know, I'd love to hear your perspective from whether it's at Barracuda or anyone else you know in this industry, when it comes to identifying the responsible parties, how is that going? I know that's very difficult to do. And is that something that you know, Barracuda wants to be part of as well, to, to help identify who is doing the threats? Right. I think if you look at all the attacks that's uh, worthy the news coverage, a lot of them have some type of you know, uh, assumption, uh, you know, what the attack came from. Yep. If you think about the whole uh, thing that related to trick bots or botnets, you, know, you get to that side and see, ah, okay, this can be coming from this, uh, this country or this region or this, you know, this IP, you may not know that is actually the bad actor. It could be weaponized against someone else, right? So, so I think really is, it takes beyond just following the, the attack, attack chain. Uh, you really want to get down to penetrating it somehow. Um, basically using deception or a few other things to actually kind of root out the, the bad actors and get them to trust you, get them to, you know, they, it's not necessarily a person, but if the bot is able to trust you, then you can, you can be part of that botnet and eventually get deeper and deeper and understand the origin. That, that's like how, that's how, you know, like the FBI and CIA infiltrate terrorist organizations like it's crazy <laughs> exactly i mean in fact you know um you know if you look at how we react to cyber attacks are definitely very similar to how our body react to viruses and how we react at the at you know at the political stage and you know during wars and war times and stuff like that right so if you think about um that there is hope uh to be able to because look the programmers behind the, the bots and attackers, or they're just programmers too, right? Yeah. And, you know, there are ways to, to actually penetrate that um, and get in. So Barracuda is obviously here to protect our customers. Um, I wouldn't talk too deep about how we get further, but generally it's really important for us to recognize all these attacks from various different attack services. So if you're just an email security company or just a you know, a web application firewall company, you might be missing out on correlating some of this data 
So that's why I kind of, you know, help Barracuda because in a sense, we, we want to have that 360 around a particular attack. And there is another industry or a segment that's, um, that's kind of booming also. It's the extended disaster recovery uh, XDR industry. So I think if you think about that, it's really gathering information from multiple vendors and be able to uh, do analytics and machine learning to, to really kind of filter out the noise and identify the things you need to pay attention to. So, you know, that's another, I think, effect of having so much data, you know, so many angles to look at, right? So, so I, I believe the industry is ready. Uh, you know, everyone will be able to participate and contribute so there's no different for Barracuda. So from that perspective, I hope I answered part of your question. Yeah. No, 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 you did. I mean, it's a it's an insane world out there, the world of cybersecurity. Uh, the, it's never going to be done. Uh, I think one of my family friends, he's a deputy commander at U.S. military, and says he always talks about it in this way, which is in the history of humanity, there's never truly been a peacetime. There's always been someone who wants what someone else has. And who's going is willing to be nefarious, and then that's the case. I believe that's the case for cybersecurity too. So, uh, companies like Barracuda, companies like that are in cybersecurity, you're never going to be done. You know what I mean? <laughs> Fleming, you're, you're never going to be done. The day you retire, you're going to have actually more problems to solve if you continue to work than you did than you have solved. You know what I mean? <laughs> I believe you. Yeah, this is uh, exponentially harder today compared to 20 years ago. I can tell you that. <laughs> Well, Fleming, let's lighten it up a little bit. One of the things we do at the end of every episode is we do the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. And Fleming, this is where we ask you quick, simple little questions to let people get to know you outside of work. You ready? Let's do it. All right. It says on your LinkedIn, you went to UC San Diego. Yes. Is that where you grew up? Or is that just where you went to school? I actually grew up in Cupertino, California, uh, in Homestead High School in that, you know, right, right around the corner here. <laughs> but I uh, went to school in uh, UCSD. Yep. Why did you choose San Diego? I kind of wanted to uh, be in a warmer place, you know, uh, be able to get to the beach quickly and get to golf at any time of the year. So San Diego is really nice for like for four seasons. Uh, you, you can do anything with short time. <laughs> so I love that. Listen, UC San Diego's got a lot of hardcore, on, you know, tech titans that have come out of there, including uh, Para. I think he's the most famous one, uh, who Ubiquity Networks. So it seems it feels like a hotbed. It's like an unknown hotbed of tech talent. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think it's a pretty cool place. Uh, you know, it's well known for their supercomputing center, and as well as uh, the place I worked at, IGPPSIO. Uh, I actually was a you know, computer specialist when I was in college and, and, you know, program analyst really helping the scientists do uh, geophysics. So that said, yeah, definitely a cool place. Uh, you get the, the beautiful, you know, La Jolla Bay and, and shores and you get, you get your study done and play some good golf. Yeah. Tory Pine. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Besides golf, what else do you like to do outside of work? Actually, I live in Santa Cruz. So, uh, you know, just generally hiking, um, you know, even some tree work that I do on the side to make sure uh, things are pruned correctly. Uh, and just overall, just nature. And of course, I play with, uh, you know, lots of devices too. <laughs> What's your favorite gizmo or gadget or widget that's come out in the last few years? 
Um, I actually really like virtual reality, um, the flight simulators. Uh, sometimes you want to just get to the sky without, you know, all the burden. But, you know, so I, I think the latest Microsoft flight simulator will be something I want to look forward to. I have a VR glass that gives me basically 360 uh, inside the glass. So you can really have that very enjoyable uh, experience. That is awesome. Now, have you picked up any hobbies or new, uh, new things to do? during the pandemic time, work from home? Probably more gardening. <laughs> I planted two trees uh, with my, my kids. Uh, I think, uh, you know, just uh, really appreciate what, you know, nature provides, right? I mean, we're kind of stuck at home, but if you make your home uh, really enjoyable, part of it is really be outside of the, the walls and enjoy the birds and everything. So Santa Cruz Mountain, it's a, it's a great place for that. Yeah, so I think uh, maybe do a little gardening here and there. <laughs> it will keep me sane. <laughs> there you go. I got a quick question. Do you do you tend to eat what you grow? Yes, we do. We have, uh, uh, you know, obviously seasoning from rosemary to various different like cilantro. And we also have little tomatoes. The trees I planted is one is lemon tree and another is orange tree. We'll see. Yeah, so definitely we'll eat whatever we grow. Um, but before before the deers and birds get to it, <laughs> we need to... There you go. We have the same problem. Our, our tomatoes get eaten by something. I don't know what eats them, but they usually get bitten into. I can see that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, before we close, what's some advice you would give to a first-time or aspiring CTO? Because one of the cool things about your career is for some people, they, they, they hop, you know, they go from company to company, but you've been at Barracuda for quite some time and have ascended from a director of engineering all the way to now the CTO. What is some advice we'd give for people to, you know, build their career if they have aspirations to be in the same seat that you have right now? Right. I think the, uh, what I learned is really be humble and be creative and work with uh, your team because as you grow, initially you'll be building stuff, you'll be creating things, uh, you know, use that experience to coach others and really, uh, really build a strong support system around you. So, uh, you know, folks who are coming out of college, uh, some of my team members have been with the, the company as long as I have almost uh, because I hired them. But if you look at their growth, it's, it's almost a replica of what you want to do. So you try to, you know, empower them and, and really get them to, do what they are uh, really good at and just really create results. And obviously uh, building through the years, I will say, you know, architecting software and architecting of people, uh, a group or team that can build software. Uh, these are different, um, I will say different experiences, but I really enjoy the latter part. But then once you get there, there are still areas where you can help in uh you know, drive the technology adoption or, or theme, you know, get the culture correctly so you can, you can really stay close to your customer's needs. So those are things I would say will be helpful in, in really building a team around you and continue to grow as a, as a person and eventually really look for the next, uh, next CTO or next person that who can, uh, who can really rise up to the occasion because, you know, I might, you know, people will get old and probably want to play 24 hours. I mean, maybe not 24 hours, but every day uh, <laughs> you want to go gardening or golfing or, you know, doing ATVs, right? So that said, I, I, I think the key there is really enabling uh, talent around you and, and really identify the best way for them to grow. Yeah. There you go. 
servant leadership, helping others them as much as you can. Fleming, I want to thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing everything that you're up to at Barracuda and also your perspectives on how cybersecurity is becoming more challenging and also what can possibly happen to, you know, prevent and counterattack cybersecurity threats in the future. Thanks for joining us on the show. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, hopefully everyone stay safe and uh, hopefully we'll be out of this pandemic soon. All right, there we go. Fleming, we're going to see you more on the golf course, in the garden. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Thank you. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experiences, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.